Open your Bibles to Psalm 100, if you could stand with me and honor God's word, Psalm 100. Psalm 100. It says, shout with joy to the Lord all the earth, worship the Lord with gladness, come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God, he made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture, enter his gates with thanksgiving, Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. Father God, thank you. Thank you that we too can shout with all the earth. That we can declare your goodness. Because worship means worship. And you're the only one worthy of worship. And so God, we've worshipped you today in song. We've worshiped you today, Father God, as we pray to you. And Father God, now we're going to worship you as we go to your word. Father, change us. Transform us from the inside out as only you can. Let us never be the same again. Every moment we spend with you, let us change. Let us become more and more like Jesus. Father, thank you that your word never returns void to you when it goes out. So accomplish your word and its purposes for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. You can be seated. Last week we began a series called The Table. And we looked at our position before God. This week I want to look at our praise of God. Last week our position before God. Today our praise of God. I got to believe that Psalm 100 was the inspiration for Darlene Check's song, Shout to the Lord. I got to believe it was. It says, the whole earth is exhorted to shout with joy to the Lord. The whole earth is exhorted to worship the Lord with gladness. The whole earth is exhorted to come before him with singing. Last week, we read the first part of verse 4. I want to finish verse 4 looking at it again. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving, go into his courts with praise, Give thanks to him and praise his name. So we enter his gates with thanksgiving. We go into his courts with praise. We give him thanks and we praise his name. There are two words for praise in verse 4. Two words for praise in verse 4. One means to speak positive words about the excellence of another, words that characterize a person. So when you are praising God, you're speaking about his excellence. You're, you're speaking about who he is and you're declaring who he is. As we were worshiping with Corbin and the team this morning, we were declaring the excellence of God and we were declaring um, what, what, God's, uh, what God's character is all about. We were characterizing him in our worship. The second word, the second word for praise there is translated bless. Remember our rule from last week? That when translators use more than one word to translate a word in Scripture from the original, why does one version use this word? Why does another version use that word? We've said that that word is, that word is typically worth digging into, that you'll find a greater truth there. This, this word means to speak words invoking divine favor. Kind of similar. But here's the difference with this word. It adds... To do so, kneeling down and assuming a humble position of worship as we speak. Kind of carries it to like the next level. 
it's almost like it's involving your heart more. And let me just make a statement about, about Restore Church. You know, I don't have a problem with hymn sings. I don't. Um, I just believe in much more than just singing some hymns. Maybe you were raised in a church and you sang from a Psalter hymnal or you sang from a hymnal and um, that's what you did. I believe in so much more. I believe in a worship experience. I mean, because that's how my life got changed. I experienced God's presence. Isn't it amazing how you can be in a room worshiping God with a bunch of other people, but it's still so personal between you and God? You're telling them how much you love him. You're declaring how much you trust him. You're thanking him for his faithfulness again and again and again. And if you read this psalm, it's so much more personal. I mean, you're literally exhorted here to enter his gates with thanksgiving. God, I thank you so much. Thank you so much that I'm coming to church today. Thank you so much that you took my life and put it on solid ground when my life was a mess. Because most of us, let's be honest, we came to God in a time of need. Relationship challenges, physical challenges, struggling with depression or anxiety or whatever you might have been struggling with. My life was a mess when I came and heard really the word preached for the first time. I mean, I was in a church that read scripture, but I heard it preached for, for the first time. And it changed my life. I sensed God's presence and it changed, it changed my life. I knew that he was real. There's something about the presence of God that just settles some questions that you might have in your heart. Today as we were worshiping God, you found out how real he was. You felt him, you experienced him, you found out how real he was. God's not trying to, to, to hide in some closet who he is. He's trying to reveal who he is to you. And as you worship him, you see things about God that you've never seen before. And in verse 5, there are some truths for us that I want you to see. We have three reasons why we thank and praise God. Three reasons why we thank and praise God in Psalm 100 verse 5. It says we thank and praise God because he's good. See, anybody that says that God is bad or that God does bad things, they don't know God. That's why Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is, is good. He's good. He's good. He's not bad. He's not wicked. He doesn't do mean things to people. Lamentations 3 says, God doesn't willingly afflict anyone. It's not as hard to do so. He's a good God. And some of you, that's a, that's a stretch for you. Maybe because of the homes that you grew up in to believe that any father could be good. Pastor John, my earthly father wasn't so good. And maybe that's a, that's a challenge for you. Maybe that's where you step out in faith and you trust believing that he is a good God, that he's not going to let you down. Maybe that's the sticking point for you. Pastor John, you don't know how much I've suffered at the hands of an earthly father. Why should I believe in a heavenly father that I can't see when I've been hurt so badly by an earthly father that I can see? Why? Because he's good. That's why. 
Let me show you a verse that I clung to in times when I was very, very stressed, and it's based on the goodness of God. Psalm 23, what a shame that we typically just read this psalm at a person's passing, because I've, I've drawn a lot of strength from Psalm 23. And in Psalm 23, verse 6, it says, Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I have declared that openly as I've been driving down the road when it seems like bad was hitting, bad was coming against me, Seems like there's disagreement on all sides and surely your goodness and loving mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I just declared it. On the way to a doctor's appointment when I didn't know how it was going to go, I'm declaring that God's goodness, his kindness, his loving mercy, whatever version it is that you're reading from, it's all good. He is a good God, and it will pursue me. His goodness will pursue me all the days of my life. Because my mind is made up, I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Where are you going to find me? You're going to find me in God's house. You're going to find me in his presence. You're going to find me more a worshiper than a worrier. See, worship is engaging. Worship is a challenge to you and I. Worship is confrontation spiritually. It's an in-your-face to the devil, and it is so powerful that Scripture says that out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, God has ordained praise. He's ordained praise. It tells us why in Psalm 8, to silence the enemy. You know what worship does? It shuts the devil's mouth. Why? Because that's who Satan was created to be, a worship leader in heaven. And he can't do it anymore. When you worship God, you remind the devil of what Satan was created to do but no longer can. Just by your worshiping God, it shuts the devil up. Hey, devil, let, let me remind you of something you'll never experience ever again. Let me remind you of what I'm going to be doing for all eternity, and I'm starting here. Let me remind you. And you silence the enemy because you're doing what he can't. Worship is a powerful thing. Pastor John, it seems so awkward when I'm going through a difficult time to begin to praise and worship God. It seems so difficult, and it should. Because it's spiritual. And all of a sudden, you go from singing songs to expressing from your heart your love, your trust, how awesome God is. There's a, there's a change that takes place. And it takes you from worshiping in the flesh to worshiping in the spirit. And you begin to go to a whole new level. James 1.17 adds that every good and perfect gift comes from God. Just as a gift to us. And verse 18 declares that we are his prized possession. I want to read this to you so you know what's in there and I'm just not making it up. James 1. Yeah, that pastor throws a lot of verses out there. If anybody ever looked those things up, does anybody know that's true? James 1. Look at 17. New living words it, words it great says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we out of all creation became his prized possession. Is that amazing or what? There's not a person excluded from that. 
But not everybody enjoys that because not everybody believes that. Yes, God loves everybody, but his blessings are not upon everyone's life. It's because blessings are relational. I mean, I can love a lot of people. I mean, I can love the body of Christ. I can love the church. I can love nations. I can love the United States of America. I can love the city of Ionia, but I can't bless all of those people that I say that I love in a blanket statement. Blessing comes from relationship. Comes from relationship. The second thing that Psalm 100 verse 5 says, it says God's unfailing love continues forever. Let me just say something about the love of God because I'm sure that we've all had people that have told us that they loved us. They were there one minute and gone the next. And I'm not, you know, asking for any kind of pity, but I would say pastors probably experience that just as much as anybody, if not more so. But God's love, God's love isn't, isn't fleeting. No, 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 no. God's love, God's love is faithful. God's love continues forever. God's love is unfailing. Where the love of man is fleeting, God's is unfailing. It's unfailing. It will not fail. The love of God will not fail. I think we probably see this best in 1 Corinthians 13.8. tells us that his love endures or lasts forever or it never fails, is how older versions will say it. His love never fails. One of my favorite stories um, um, from my wife's life um, was shortly after her parents got divorced and uh, the, the next door neighbors two doors down were you know, inviting her to church. She had a close relationship with the daughter and then they bought her her first Bible and, um, and she remembers being all alone in her room and there was a song years ago. I want to say the band Truth um, uh, were the ones maybe originally that sang it and, uh, you know, the words are, um, you might as well get thee behind me, Satan, um, because Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. And she shares how um, she just broke down and started weeping um, because her parents were getting divorced and her heart is getting torn in two. And she was just declaring, but I know, Jesus, you won't fail. I know you won't fail, God, because your love continues forever. It continues forever. I'm asking this. I'm asking simply this when it comes to, to God, to the love of God. Do not reduce the love of God to the love of man that you've experienced. Or Bill Johnson from Bethel Church in Redding, California says this. He says, don't reduce God to your experiences here on earth. Because your experiences have been bad or your, your experiences have been negative, that somehow God is negative too because he's allowing that to happen. We are born into a fallen state. We were not born into any state of perfection. I didn't have to teach my kids how to be selfish. They instinctively knew how to do that. I had to teach them how to share. We come out of the womb thinking self first. We're born into a fallen state of humanity, you and I. And we forever deal with our flesh until we see Jesus face to face and we're changed in the twinkling of an eye. 
but I am not going to reduce God to every negative experience that I've had as if it's somehow his fault. You know, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Man, do we really want him to answer that question? As we shake our fist at him as we've suffered pain and hardship and loss, do we really, really want to know? Do we really want to know the questions that he has for us? I don't want to go there, God. I'm just I'm going to trust you in this. This is not easy. This is difficult. This is challenging. My heart's being tried in ways it's never been before. But God, I'm going to trust you in this. I'm going to believe that somehow out of this, good's going to be good's going to come. That somehow out of this, God, you're going to do amazing things. That somehow out of this, I'm going to become stronger and I'm going to be a greater influence in the earth because of what I'm going through right now, as awful as it is. I'm just going to begin to believe the best that God has for me. Just because people have placed conditions on their love does not mean that God does on his. God's love is unconditional. And just because people have placed conditions on their love, if you love me, you'll, or you'll do, or you'll give. God doesn't place conditions on his love. He offers it freely. Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners, Romans 5 tells us. And then the last... It says that his faithfulness continues to each generation. I want to finish by looking at three portions of Scripture here. Go to 1 Thessalonians. So you're going to go to Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians. Look at 5. First Thessalonians Five. Look at three or twenty-three. Yeah, twenty-three, twenty-four. It says, "Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again." God will make this happen, for He who calls you is faithful. He who calls you is faithful. I think that's powerful. Go to Second Thessalonians chapter three. Look at verse 3. It says, But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. And we are confident in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we commanded you. May the Lord lead your hearts into a full understanding and expression of the love of God and the patient endurance that comes from Christ. I love it. Just as God has been faithful to your generation, he'll be faithful to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. He is a faithful God. He is faithful to each generation. There will never be a moment in the history of the world where there are not a remnant of believers on the earth. There always will be because God's faithful. God's faithful. I believe there is always somebody in your family that was a believer, a believer that's been praying. In your lineage, I've heard people say, man, I didn't know that my great-great was a preacher. I didn't know that. I didn't know. I discovered after my grandma or my grandpa or my great-grandma or my great-grandpa passed away that they were a person of prayer. Their Bible was marked all over the place, and all of a sudden that becomes the most treasured possession, that Bible, with all those notes in it. Nothing like it. Nothing like it. God's faithful to each generation. See, we struggle believing that would be so because people are so unfaithful. 
But God's not man that he should lie, Scripture says. He is faithful. He is faithful. He's faithful in our generation. He'll be faithful in the next generation. He's faithful. He's faithful. And I think we need to know that today. I don't know about you. One of my favorite verses is Lamentations 3.23 that says, Great is his faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. It says God's mercies are new every morning. Pastor John, it's so hard for me to believe that God's faithful because of all that I've suffered and all that I've gone through. You know, I get it. But I don't believe you've suffered those things at God's hand. Would you just think with me for a minute? And Come on. Christians, think. So let me understand this. You know, as profound and as, and as, as much as God's ways and thoughts are higher than mine, as high as the heavens are above the earth, does it make any sense to you at all that God would send his only son to become man, the great incarnation, God becoming man, that he would send his son to become man? C.S. Lewis says, God becoming man would be the equivalent of you and I becoming a slug, leaving a perfect environment and coming to earth. That God would cause and allow his son to suffer for you and I the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, that God becomes man, suffers for you and I, so that we could continue to suffer as if we're going to pay off some debt that God didn't pay off completely. Jesus, you didn't take everything to the cross. It wasn't entirely paid for at the cross. My Bible says my debts were paid in full. So that any suffering that I do here on this earth, it's a suffering because I love Jesus so much and it's worth suffering for Christ's sake. It's worth having the guts to stand in the midst of a bunch of unbelievers and say, I believe. I believe. I'm not going to disown Jesus, even if everybody else is. I'm not. Even my whole, my whole school disowns Jesus. My whole family disowns Jesus. The whole city disowns. I'm not going to disown Jesus. I'm not throwing Jesus under the bus because he's already thrown himself under the bus for me. He took it all. All of it, paid for all of it, every bit of it, every bit of it. What a love. I can't even fathom, I barely can grasp a love like that. That's why the Bible says here on this side of heaven, we know in part, we see in part. Man, we can't fully even comprehend that. Come on, like anyone can do, anyone can do that. God can. God can. He's faithful. He's faithful to you. He's faithful to each generation. His love never fails. He's good. He's good. He's a good God. Pastor John, I struggle believing that. That's what faith is. That's, where, that's what faith is. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. For the Christian, our walk on this earth, the way that we live life is different than any other people on the face of the earth. We walk by faith. Pastor John, why are these things happening to me? Are you walking by faith? Yeah, I'm taking steps. Man, that's why it's happening. Because I believe if I was the devil, I would want to continually throw things at you that would frustrate your faith and say, man, go back to the way it was. At least you could count on that. God seems so unpredictable. No, God's not unpredictable. The Bible says we can even have a good understanding. Understand everything? 
No, I think we get weird when we think that we can understand everything. Jimmy Evans said it best. He said, I don't understand everything about God, but I don't want a God so small that I understand him either. Sooner or later, you are going to step out and you are going to believe by faith that he is a good God. The Bible says we can feed on his faithfulness. He's so faithful. That his faithfulness reaches to the skies. He's so faithful. You can feed on it. Bank on it. It's nourishment to you. That's how faithful God is. And he's good. And the challenge is, you don't believe me? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Go there. Go there. Surrender your heart to Jesus Christ and see how good he is. Completely abandon yourself to God. And listen, if it's all a lie, if it's all a bunch of, bunch of hype, how hard is it to back out? But the challenge is so great, you know that it's real. You know that it's real. I knew that it was real before I committed my life to Jesus Christ. And I made my mind up. Man, if that pastor stands up there and he asks people to ask Jesus in their heart, man, and prays with them like I've seen them do, I'm, do, I'm doing it. I don't care. I'm, I'm doing it. I don't. And I abandoned myself to God not knowing what the end would be, like not knowing that one day he would send my wife and I with two little boys to Ionia to start a church, 15 people in a house. I didn't know what was going to happen. I'm going to tell you this, though. It's awful hard for God to lead you when you do not want a relationship with him and you're not pursuing him. He maybe does seem like a far away and a distant God. My Bible promises that if you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. He's not the one settling for the distance you are. God seems far away. The old saying is, guess who moved? God ain't moving. That's why scripture calls him a rock. And maybe today, you need to settle this thing once and for all, and you need to make a decision to leave all and follow Christ. Pastor John, that sounds crazy. Man, we serve a God that loves us so much. His love is crazy. His love is crazy. And the only way that you're going to know why you exist on this earth, what his purpose for you is to, to be reconnected and to have a relationship with the one who created you. Paul said, man, I want to lay hold of God and find out why he laid hold of me. All of your questions, all of your identity, all of the explanation for your existence on this earth, on this earth are all wrapped up in Jesus Christ. I'm convinced of it. I didn't even know who I was until I asked Jesus into my heart. I was just a dope-smoking party boy from the west side of Grand Rapids. That's all I was. Coke if I could afford it. Mushrooms if somebody else had them. Speed so I could stay up all night and do it. Jesus got a hold of me, and there were things going off on the inside of me that I didn't even know. It's like I was awakened on the inside. One songwriter says it was like waking up from the longest dream. And maybe today you need to make a decision. Maybe today you have been a skeptic for the very last time and you're finally going to put up or shut up. I'm calling you out. I'm calling you out today. And so I want to pray with you before we part.